You gotta be careful a little bit careful of this tabletop though. It's gonna be noisy. Ugh. So yeah, you can't do your normal uh, slamming your fist down. chef style. I first of all I can and I will uh do my stuff. You can't you can't limit my creativity, man. Put my phone on do not disturb. Hey everybody. What's up? Welcome to the uh Call Me an Event Podcast live chat. This is a special one, holiday episode. Yep. Don't normally do this on a Monday, but it is Monday, December the 23rd, a couple days before Christmas. So we are uh, we're doing this live chat on the Patreon site, but this one is live and free for everyone, mm-hmm. not just the beloved patrons of the podcast. That's right. Uh, oh, that didn't even make a terrible sound. Yeah. You, if you need... To, you need the gas station coffee if you're really going to get that classic styrofoam peel-off sound. Horror movie door opening yeah. sound. <laughs> yes, like you're doing a radio play. All right. Well, the normal viewers, the regular viewers of the live chat probably recognize that we are in a slightly different location this week. We are in a potential dedicated podcast site what? for the Comate Event Podcast what? here in my office. You probably noticed that the walls in here are now sea salt. Rather than... I thought we were going with Decorator's White. Well, Decorator's White is out in the rest of the house. This has a you know more intellectual feel, slightly more uh, bookish. Yeah. I'm in here doing my work, doing my typings, my literature. So you're like, you're out there in the Decorator's White, and sometimes it gets to be just too much. Yeah. And you're like, oh, thank God for the this haven of sea salt. Yeah. Nope, that's right. I'm in here uh, after my pursuits. Is what I'm doing. When your pursuits for the day are finished. Uh, I like everything we're doing as far as like a mixed martial arts, a combat sports kind of stuff. We've got a lot, of, a lot of good reading up here. I especially like Scientific Boxing by Gentleman Jim Corbet there. Yeah. Uh, noticeable lack of weapons, though. I thought, we were, I thought we were going kind of weapons roomy. You know, considering the reputation that I already have at our local post office branch... Mm-hmm. I might wait till the heat dies down a little bit before we start shipping in weapons. Just maybe get a couple of normal shipments. Just yeah. to do like everybody can uh, think, relax their guard a little bit. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, broadsword. Speaking of which, before we get started, we got to spend send a special thank you out to Drew Brown from the Goulet Pen Company, the longtime listener of the show, who sent Ben and I some fancy ass fountain pens uh, in the mail. That we just got. Where's my fountain pen? It's over there. I'll get it for you when we're done. Don't gonna, worry. Don't don't try to. Don't just think you're gonna pocket these pens. Now that I know about them, what else are you keeping from me? I mean, I've seen the walls at your house. The color of those walls don't befit a man who would have a fountain pen. Oh, that's you got me there. That stings, but you got me. What's going on over on the site? Are we getting any questions? We because are. I'm a little bit worried about the time and day change. You know, this is not the day that we normally do the live chat, so a little bit nerve wracking. As to whether or not anyone's actually going to show up to ask us some questions here. I mean, it's a weird week. Yeah. It's a couple days before Christmas. Holiday week. You got all your Christmas stuff squared away? Mostly. Still got a couple of things to get. Got those American Girl dolls in the mail, I'll tell you what. Uh, Brandon Boyd, it looks like he's first. And he lets us know by just saying, Uno. So, nice. Solid, Brandon. Uh, Mike Belosovich says, I'm just here to commiserate with Ben about our hockey-related disfigurements. What's his hockey disfigurement? That's, we gotta know. Uh, we gotta know. Make sure the streamers are working and everything. Yeah. Looks like it's working. I mean, we're flying with the Nighthawk, so um, everything should be hunky-dory. There are a lot, like, hockey, for as far as disfigurements go, there's a lot of opportunities for people to get disfigured out there. Yeah, Especially man. Especially people who don't wear the... People, Full face shield. People are sliding around with knives bolted onto the bottom of their shoes out there. And swinging sticks and a little heavy piece of rubber is flying around. A dude on my team, uh, the last game we played, he plays with no face thing at all. Not even a little visor. Just like helmet, no face thing, old school style. And he's got to be in his 50s. And That explains it. He's super good. And we were beating this team 5 nothing. In the third period, he laid out to you, like, gave up his body to block a shot and, like, took it in the chest and did not seem like he enjoyed it very much. And afterwards, man, I was like, dude, we're winning 5 nothing. That could have taken out your whole your whole front set, man. Yeah. You don't need to do that. Grill all jacked up. We're going to win this game. Like, 
And even if we don't, probably not worth just mangling your face in a million different ways that that can happen there. I got to know about what, what's up with Mike's, though. Guy, a guy like that only has one speed. He can't. He can't not. He can't not give 100%. Uh, Silver Shark says, Ben, when you were researching bare knuckle boxing or Chad in your preparation for writing Champion of the World, did either of you enter, did either of you ever encounter a discussion of why kicking did not make it into Western boxing? Was it perhaps considered too dangerous to practice or unsporting or the opposite? Maybe it was thought to be ineffective against a skilled pugilist. Please discourse all the holiday love, the Silver Shark. Hmm. You know what? That's an interesting question. I don't know that I necessarily know an answer to that, although, uh, I think that we could guess that maybe kicking was considered unsportsmanlike. Perhaps, uh, I mean, the the structure of modern boxing as we know it comes down from the Marcus of Queensbury rule set. Right. So I would hazard a guess that at that time kicking was considered low, a low form of uh, combat. Well, reading about the bare knuckle boxing history, it's interesting how the one of the first like venues for bare knuckle boxing in England, uh, like this amphitheater kind of thing where they would host fights but also teach various fighting arts. And when they started out, it was it was a lot closer to, to night fights, mm. you know? Like they were using cudgels and like weapons and things like that. So maybe they were doing a little kicking then, who knows? Um, and then they kind of graduated like to more like that's thing that people were more interested in was just the bare knuckle boxing. But even then there were variants of rules that would allow for more or less wrestling. Like sometimes, because you the round ends when somebody hits the deck. And in some of the rule sets, that means you could throw them, like you mm. could trip them, stuff like that, and it would still, that would end the round and buy you a little bit of a rest time if you needed it. Um, and uh, for one of John L. Sullivan's fights, I think he, he was worried about, maybe it was Patty Ryan, uh, he was worried about, the guy trying to use a lot of wrestling on like a lot of clinch stuff. And so part of his training camp was to get a wrestler, like an actual catch wrestler in there to work with him just because he thought that there was going to be a whole lot of that. Also, they would sometimes wear like cleats basically to boxing. And then it was a practice to some kind of spike a guy, if you could stuff like that. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe you walk around with those heavy ass Victorian shoes. You just not, you don't really do a little lot of kicking. Yeah, and you wouldn't want to get kicked with those things either. No. Just, can we just agree that we're not going to kick each other? Still reminds me of one of my favorite interview moments talking to Evander Holyfield. And I was asking him about a thing that like Boss Rutten said that for a while he had tried to set up a, a fight with Evander Holyfield and, and that he thought that they were going to do it. And then, you know, obviously Evander Holyfield wasn't going to do that. And when talking to him about it, he was like, yeah, I don't know. I was uh, okay with some like different rule set stuff. I just didn't want him to kick me. And I was like, well, yeah, boss is probably going to kick you if you let him. But then when we started, the more we started talking about it, and then it seemed like he didn't want to get kicked, not because he was unprepared for it or thought he would get hurt, but that he was almost just seemed grossed out by it. He's like, I don't want they feed on me. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's not why I thought you were worried about it. Uh, Brandon Boyd says, what's the worst Christmas present you have ever received? You know what? Even to this day, my mom will get me clothes that makes me feel like she has never seen me before. Uh-huh. Like that she's never seen how you dress yourself. Yeah, just like never take a note of what's going on wardrobe wise. She'll she will like she will buy me clothes that look like the stuff my stepdad wears. Uh so like kind of like a shiny athletic material kind of shirt. You know, like a, a moisture wicking. Okay. Like you might wear it if you were out on a run. Maybe she's trying to tell you something. Maybe, <laughs> maybe so. Maybe, you maybe. need to wick some more moisture. Yeah, maybe so. But uh, those usually go either right back to the store or straight to the uh, straight to the goodwill. Um, I have an aunt that for many years would always give me a watch. Hmm. Like every year, like watch collection. Yeah, and it, like it got to the point where I was like, so is. Does she, is she just encountering a lot of watches? Does she think, and I don't wear watches at all. And, and like after like the third year, the, the second year it was like, okay, well, she really, she, she did the watch thing again. And the third year I was like, what's happening? What is this? Is she, did a box of watches fall off the back of a truck and she's just going to use it for the rest of the Christmases that she knows me? Yeah. She's just sitting at home thinking, what am I going to do with all these watches? Mm-hmm. How about, 
When you were a kid, do you remember the best Christmas gift you got? The one where you were like, fuck, yes, it's all really happening. Uh, I remember one year when we were particularly poor. My mom and stepdad taped uh, WrestleMania three oh, yes. off the television. Like they got, they did the thing where they rented an extra VCR uh-huh. and like rented WrestleMania three and then dubbed it and like literally for Christmas gave me like the VHS cassette tape copy with the with a white sticker on it that said WrestleMania three written in my mom's handwriting and I couldn't have been happier. Like I couldn't have been more <laughs> stoked to get a copy of WrestleMania three. I also remember one time. Uh, I was at my dad's. My parents were divorced. I was at my dad's for Christmas there. And there was like a big ass present underneath the tree for me. And I was like, oh, man, it's the ring. It's the WWE ring at WWF back in those days. It's the ring. This is going to be the greatest Christmas of all time. And I was an idiot. I was a kid. So I didn't know what presents are supposed to be shaped like. It was a guitar. My dad dad got me an acoustic guitar. I mean, I was like seven okay. or something. But uh, still, you understand like a like a rectangle, like a square. You got you have kids. Okay, yeah. You know the operate the level the level that they're operating at. See now, but now that I do have kids, now I can imagine because it's like hearing my daughter talk about like at first what she wants for Christmas, writing down a list and everything, and then hearing like yesterday we were on a hike and she started talking about the stuff that she felt sure she was going to get from Santa for Christmas and like started listening to some things where I was like, Oh, that's, that feels like the first I've heard of that. Yeah. That's, that's not happening. My daughter just decided this week that she wanted a pair of cowboy boots because she's been watching spirit a lot. Okay. She's back on spirit. We were off spirit for a while. Now she's back on. And we were just like, I keep telling her, I was like, well, you know, the thing that's awesome about Christmas is that you don't always get what you asked for. Yeah. But sometimes you get something that you didn't ask for that's still cool. Anyway, circling around to my original point, this is what kind of a little asshole I was. I was disappointed that my dad got me a guitar instead of the World Wrestling Federation play ring. So good thing we got dudes out there like Andrew Millington looking out for us who will send us Mm -hmm. a WWE ring in the mail, which he did a year or two ago. Fulfilled those desires all these years later. I remember when you got the, uh, it wasn't laser tag, but it was like the off-brand version of laser tag, but it was kind of cooler because it was like, you'd wear a, like a little headset and mm-hmm. it had a little like button like right on your temple. And when you would get shot, like your whole, like your like gun and everything would light up, yeah. but also like a button would just buzz kind of painfully into your temple. Oh. And my dad and I would play like all over the house with that. And it was also, I remember once like being shot over and over again, not, can't see him anywhere, can't figure out where he is, and then realize he's using a mirror. Like, he's bouncing the laser beam off of a mirror behind me. Oh, man. It took me way too long to figure it out. It's not even fair. Josh Montgomery says, So I love the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood movie club episode. Some scattered thoughts. Jackie Brown is also my fave uh, Quentin Tarantino film, and maybe the greatest De Niro performance ever. I love the ending of this film. You guys seemed confusingly hard on it. I was not a fan of Hateful Eight or Django, but I thought this was QT's first truly great movie since Kill Bill 2. Um, I didn't hate the ending, but I understand Chad's point about Quentin Tarantino that that is just his kind of I'm not sure what to do here, so let's go out with a huge violent bloodbath at the end. Like, that's kind of... And it's, I guess maybe because it's we've seen it in enough of his movies at this point that you can kind of know that we're going to get there, and then when you do get there, you're like, okay, this must be the end, because it's just crazy over-the-top violence now. But I still don't hate it. I thought just overall, I thought it was a really good movie. Yeah, like on the movie club, I think we said, I thought it was like the best movie, the best of his modern movies. I definitely liked it better than... Hateful Eight or Django or Inglorious Bastards. Uh, I thought it was really good. Just, you know, all of the reason that it made a really good movie club episode. And if you're interested in the movie club episodes, by the way, update to the upgrade to the $10 Patreon tier. You can go in there and, and listen to those. The thing that made it a good movie club episode is that all of Quentin Tarantino's many strengths and all of his weaknesses were also on display, like in in one movie. And so it was it was good to talk about. But yeah, I thought we were upfront about the fact that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was was the best Quentin Tarantino movie that we'd seen in a while. Uh, I do also like De Niro's performance in Jackie Brown, where he's just like a bank robber out of prison who then gets really into weed and 
then cannot be depended upon. Yeah. Like, not quite like a hippie, but just kind of like a, a guy, like a pretty unmotivated criminal. And it's a real departure from that character in the book. It's one of those, one of the things I really like about Quentin Tarantino's version of Jackie Brown is the improvements that he made from the book. Like, for one thing, just making the, you know, the title character, the, or the book is called Rum Punch, but the Jackie Brown character in the book is just a blonde white lady and making her into like a black woman played by Pam Greer changes a lot of the stuff and the dynamics that's going on in the, in the film in a really good way. Um, Modern Dangle says, Dana White is feeling really generous this Christmas and wants to give you something MMA related. What are you asking for? Note, be reasonable here. Dana's not going to start telling you company secrets or start paying the fighters more. Asking that kind of shit is just going to get you cold and called a goof. See, I was about to say collective bargaining agreement and 50% revenue share. Not for us, but for the fighters. Uh, reasonable. Mm-hmm. John Jones versus Stipe Miocic. That's okay. what I'm asking for. Seems reasonable. Make make everybody a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, it would make everybody a lot of money. And uh seems like what you're really then asking is pay John Jones the required fee to get him to go up to heavyweight. I guess so, if that's our sticking point. Yeah. I would like something like that. Or, you know what I'm asking for? What? The 165, motherfucker. That's what I'm asking for. Give us the 165. The people want it. It makes good sense. You take 170, bump it up to 175. Then you got every 10 pounds all the way up to middleweight. We can leave middleweight and light heavyweight because, I, don't, I mean, I don't, just don't know if there's enough people for like a 195 or something. But the 165 division, give it to us. We want it. See, I feel like that's right out on the edge of reasonable. I think it's You're entirely reasonable. You're stretching it to the limit. It's entirely Pushing reasonable. the limit to the limit. Um, Cat Pope says, I know this is probably a forthcoming article or discussion, but who's your fighter of the year? The Biggie Boy? He had an impressive streak and will definitely benefit from recency bias. Israel Adesanya? He had a hell of a coming out performance and maybe the fight of the year by some outlets. Jorge Masvidal had a career resurgence, the likes of which we've probably never seen in an all-time KO. Also, do you have to consider Greg Hardy for the newsworthy person of the year? Damn near everything this guy did was cause for discussion, for better or mostly worse. See, one of the things about fighter of the year is it really comes down to like what criteria you want to judge it. Yeah, what do you value? Because even Cat Pope laying it out right there, you know, there's three or four people who could all be legitimate fighters of the year just depending on what you want to base it off of, how you want to decide who the fighter of the year is. For me, uh, what, are you, what, what are you doing? Why do just, you keep, you getting, just keep, keep talking? Just, people can see you. You I'm know that, right? The, uh... See, this is stuff that we could do before we started. We could do from your chair. I'm over here solving your audio problems. Yeah. Chad solves a lot of problems by just sitting here going, what about this? Do the thing. Unplug it. Plug it back in. If not for me, he'd still be sitting there unplugging it and plugging it back in. This is what it's anyway, like. Anyway. This is what it's like all the time. What were we talking about? Fighter of the year. Yeah. I mean, I think my fighter of the year is Jorge Masvidal. Uh, you know, just considering how successful he was and he was in some really big fights, some of the biggest fights of the year. And the kind of fame that we saw Jorge Masvidal achieve is not... Stuff that we see all the time. We, we hardly ever see a guy who's 15 years into his MMA career suddenly get really famous. Like usually people who are going to be big draws and be pretty famous are that way either before they arrive in the UFC or they get that way really, really fast. So to see Jorge Masvidal pull that off and become like a capital G guy for the UFC in what may not be quite the twilight of his career, but like as he's he's knee deep in his MMA career, it was unusual. And I think that kind of makes him the fighter of the year. But if you sat there and told me your fighter of the year was Israel Adesanya, I mean, I wouldn't, I couldn't argue with you. Yeah. I mean, I just went back to look at Adesanya's 2019. He is February, wins a decision over Anderson Silva. Mm -hmm. Uh, April wins a decision in a hell of a fight against Kelvin Gastelum. I mean, that might be the fight of the year so far. And then October knocks out Bobby fucking Knuckles in a huge stadium in Australia after a crazy walkout where he's doing flips and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, that's a pretty good year. That is a pretty good year. I say Jean Asanya just because I think the the stakes of where he was competing at and what he accomplished are higher and such a big deal. But I also, I do appreciate... 
your point, especially about Jorge Masvidal doing it after people already felt like we got the book on this guy. Yeah. So like it's, it's somehow maybe more so as like a seasoned observer of mixed martial arts where you realize how seldom it happens. It's somehow reassuring to be like, okay, a guy could still break out and not only like have a bunch of big wins, but really just become a thing. Yeah. Like a, a cultural thing in the sport. Uh, to be able to do that at that point is impressive. Um, Brandon Boyd wonders if the Nighthawk flew south for the winter. I don't know if that's a comment on our stream quality or what. I think what? he put that up since we were 10 minutes late okay. launching. Fair enough. Because you couldn't figure out the audio. Until I told you to see if you there's Jesus a different Christ. input selection that you could check this is, out. This is my life, just like every week. Devin Scott says, Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum, good sirs. Question for you. Should UFC 246 lose its main event? Do you think it would become an ESPN card? Oh, man, we were just talking about we, this. Chad and I were at a Hanukkah party yesterday, standing there with beers, talking about this very thing. The remainder of the card isn't totally hot garbage, but for an inflated pay-per-view price point, it might be the worst pay-per-view in recent memory. Thoughts? And he lists what the card currently is. Conor McGregor versus Donald Cerrone. Yep. That's your headliner. Anthony Pettis versus Carlos Diego Fiera. I know who one of those guys is. Uh, Holly Holmes. and I, I see what he's doing there. Versus Raquel Pennington. Uh, Claudia Gedalia versus Alexa Grasso. Andre Feely versus Sadiq Youssef. I mean, yeah, there is not a whole lot there. Holly Holmes versus Raquel Pennington. That's a good like pay-per-view quality fight. Uh, Anthony Pettis. He's still a guy. But, yeah. If you, if you do lose that headliner... Nobody's buying that. Do you think this is the pay-per-view headliner? I see below this, or this is the pay-per-view card. Like, under the announced bouts, you got Roxanne Modafferi versus Macy Barber. Okay. Which could find its way on the pay-per-view. Alexi Olenek versus the Crochet Boss, Maurice Green. That could be on the pay-per-view card. You got Tim Elliott on here. Um, but not, I said, the, the point, I think, still stands. Yeah. That aside from Conor McGregor versus Don Cerrone, this is not an incredibly strong pay-per-view card. And one of the things that we haven't talked about that uh, he mentions in this uh, in this comment is that they they're putting the price back up to sixty five dollars. Yeah, they brought it down for a while, right? When they moved everything over to ESPN Plus, and now they are putting it back up again. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be a regular thing or if it's just for Conor McGregor coming back at UFC two forty six, but that seems significant to me. Also, that that they are doing that. For this event, which seems like it is more in line with the pay-per-view style of a boxing event rather than like what we have come to think of as like a real solid MMA pay-per-view event. Yeah. I mean, some of the unknowns surrounding Conor McGregor have been explored in the media thus far. And like you said, that we're at 170 here, so it's not like anybody's going to cut a bunch of weight, but we are a bad weight cut or Conor McGregor getting snatched up off these streets to have to go stand trial in Ireland away from uh, not really having a pay-per-view here. Yeah. Something happened to that fight, you in trouble. You in bad trouble. You think this is one where they're kind of like, you know, a la Junior Dos Santos, Cain Velasquez, maybe they're like, hey guys... It's us, the UFC. Yeah. <laughs> it would be really great if everyone yeah. showed up for this fight. Yeah, because if you call us up and tell us, hey, I got hurt in training and I can't make it, what we're going to say is no. No, that's that's unacceptable. No, that's not what happened. Yeah. But we know this is going to be likely one of the biggest selling UFC pay-per-views of the year if it holds together. And like I was telling you at the Hanukkah party, it seems like they're pulling out all the stops trying to publicize UFC 246. I was at a brewery with my family, uh, and the Las Vegas Bowl was on television on ABC, and I looked up, and suddenly it was muted, so I couldn't hear, but I saw that Dana White was, that they had done like a cutaway to Dana White, and he was talking, and they were putting up pictures of McGregor and pictures of Cerrone, so like, if you've been a UFC fan for any amount of time, you don't need to hear the audio of that. Yes, you know exactly yeah. what that yeah. sounds like and exactly what's being said. So, like, they're advertising on ABC television. If you go over to uh, ESPN, or at least when I went to the ESPN website this weekend to watch the UFC Busan card on ESPN+, Plus, uh, there was McGregor, Cerrone stuff on the front page of ESPN. It's all over ESPN+. Plus. They're kind of pulling out all the stops, it seems to me. Uh, for this pay-per-view and also bumping the price point up. So uh, they are clearly expecting this to do big business. Um, I don't know. Nobody's asked about it yet, but how about your dude Frankie Edgar having See, a rough night over there in Busan? 
So I slept through this one. Yeah, me too. Because it was in the middle of the damn night here in the one true time zone. I will say two things. Number one, I was surprised that by the time I woke up pretty early in the morning because I got kids, uh, there was zero chatter about this event pretty much on social media. Some there, you know, one or two messages. But normally when there's a UFC event on, like, people in the bubble are discussing it. I I get on my Twitter timeline and... It's nothing but UFC comments. I saw hardly anything about this. So I checked out the uh, the results, saw that Chan Sung Jung had defeated Frankie Edgar via TKO in three minutes and 18 seconds, went to ESPN and first of all thought, ooh, then went to ESPN Plus to watch it and somehow it was so much worse than I expected yeah. it to be. Just like in my mind when I thought, oh no, Frankie Edgar gets stopped in three minutes and 18 seconds. I still go over to the ESPN Plus, and it's somehow even uglier than yeah, I had anticipated. He got rocked early in yes. that one. Like, he took that one hard shot, like a good hook on the jaw, I think it was, and you could see his legs, the leg got a little stanky, and never fully recovered, it seemed, after that. Never and, got unstank. Yeah, and then just spent the rest of it kind of getting roughed up. The question now is, does everybody go, okay, well... So much for that, and we won't try to turn around and book this guy who just took a pretty solid beating at the hands of the zombie uh, in Raleigh next month. Or do you think the UFC, you know, gives Frankie a couple days, calls him up, you know, maybe say they call him up to to wish him Merry Christmas and say, by the way, how are you feeling? <laughs> uh, I would hope that they wouldn't do that because you, you know, hope, if but... you're Frankie Edgar, Frankie Edgar wants this one back. If you offer yeah. Frankie Edgar a fight right now and he can get medically cleared, he's going to take it. And medically cleared. Like, we've seen that not be an issue. If somebody, like, when have you ever seen an athletic commission be like, nope, we're just taking a hard line on this one. We don't care what the UFC wants. We saw the guy get knocked out. We're not doing it. Like, Michael Bisping fought, what was it, like, two weeks, 10 days or something like that yeah. after uh, losing to George St. Pierre? And that was a, you know, a fight where there was some damage back and forth on both sides. And then he turns right around and fights Kelvin Gastelum and gets knocked out. And see, the other thing you're thinking is, if you're Corey Stanhagen and you watch that fight, you watch Frankie go out there and get murked by the zombie, you go, damn it. you Johnny Hendricks' voice. Yeah. Oh, man, because you know that could have been you. That could have been you knocking out Frankie Edgar. And now there's no real upside in it for you. Like, even if they do manage to get him for that fight and he shows up, even if you beat him and look great doing it, people are just going to be like, well, that was a bad idea for Frankie, and uh, he he shouldn't have done it. They won't be like, Corey Sandhagen is awesome. They'll just be like, Frankie's on the downslope, and this was a bad two months for him. Yeah, it's like Kelvin Gastelum, like you said, knocking out Michael Bisping. Nobody talks about that yeah, these no, days. He's like, yeah, great moment for Kelvin Gastelum. They're just like, bad idea for Bisping. Here is potentially the most worrying thing about Frankie Edgar to me, aside from the hair. He is uh, 38 years old at this point. I like the hair, by the way. Really? Yeah. See, to me, it was kind of like he almost had that Charlie Brenneman hair. Yeah. Where it's like, you don't want hair. Yeah, you get knocked around. Yeah, yeah. when you get hit with a with a hard punch, your hair telegraphs it for the judges. Like Because your hair wobbles. And everyone's like, oh, he got tagged there. It's uh, fun, though. I like it. Frank Yeager is 38 years old. Previous to March of 2018... And his UFC 222 fight against Brian Ortega, he had never been stopped in a fight. Now he's been knocked out twice. Then the Ortega one. That was bad. That was just a straight up KO. Yeah, no like T necessary. Off, lifted off his feet by like an uppercut. No yeah. technical uh, notification needed. So he lost that one and then he gets TKO'd by Chan Sung Jung. Both, both of those first round losses. One of the things that helped Frankie Edgar become a guy in the UFC landscape, not just being the lightweight champion, but his durability. Mm-hmm. He was in some goddamn wars, right? Especially with Gray Maynard. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. is like when you see this stuff, do you look think back on the Gray Maynard series and be like, man, maybe there was a price that is now coming due? Yeah, well, something's happening. Like it doesn't seem like the, the durability that he relied on earlier in his career is still the strength that maybe it used to be. I, I, I mean... The fact that he was able to survive as long as he did against Chan Sung Jung was actually kind of impressive. And, yeah. like, you know, move around on the ground as much as he did to, to, to sort of prolong the, the end there and give himself a chance to get out of that situation was kind of remarkable. But at the same time, you're I think you're starting to see some diminishing returns in terms of uh, Frankie Edgar's durability. 
And like he's been doing this a long time. He has some of the most octagon time of anyone, maybe the most. He's right up there for uh, like total octagon minutes or octagon time, whatever they call it. And so I don't know, man, Frankie Edgar, 38 years old, starting to seem like maybe we're we're into the, the late stages. Uh, update, Mike Bolosevich tells us about his hockey injury, uh, took a puck in the ankle. Oh, in the ankle. Now has a paint-by-numbers lower leg, lower leg, he says. And see, one I of the, that hurts. It, puck like, right on the ankle? One of the weird things I've found is, like, when a puck hits you, especially, like, somewhere in the lower body, like you get in the way of a shot or something, it's like it, it has a special ability to find the one area that's not padded. Yeah. Like, I've been hit before by pucks where afterwards I look and I see a bruise and I'm like, that is under my pads. How did it even happen? But it, it just kind of magically finds the part of your body that is tender and least wants to be hit by a flying rubber chunk. See, I was going to ask, shouldn't your, like, your knife shoes that you wear to go around and play hockey, shouldn't those be high tops? Shouldn't that cover up the ankle they area? Are, but yeah, but you can still kind of get hit there. And it's like a, if someone... Fouls a, fouls off a pitch and it hits the umpire right in the elbow or something like that. <laughs> well, yeah, and the rules of baseball the demand that you act like it doesn't hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Just no sell it. Uh, Abdil Jalil says he just wants to wish us happy holidays and new year. Keep being awesome. Same to you. Right back at you. Uh, Roland Bleasy says the new space looks good. Do you think anyone who is champ now will still be champ at the recording of next year's Christmas podcast? The Volkanovsky era, perhaps? I'd say John Jones still has a belt at the well, end of 2020. That's a, uh, unless he gives it up to go somewhere else, to go to, to heavyweight, like that would be... Okay, then that's my next question. Is 2020 the year John Jones goes to heavyweight, at least for one fight? God, I feel like that's been my, uh, my bold prediction for the next year in mixed martial arts every year for about the last four years, is that well, this is the year John Jones finally goes up to heavyweight, and it just hasn't happened yet. So, uh, yeah, I'll say this is the year. I, th- I think so, too. This but is, I actually believe it. This is finally the year that John Jones goes up to heavy. All right, here are your champions. We'll okay. just do, I'll go through them, and you'll tell me still champ or new champ before the end of the year, before okay. the end of 2020. All right. Stipe Miocic. New champ. I mean, that's just the way to bet in the heavyweight division. Heavyweight. It doesn't yeah. even matter who it is. It doesn't matter at all. Stipe Miocic probably uh, get injured by a baler or something like that. Tractor. Tractor runs over his foot. Falls off a ladder trying to rescue a kitten. There you go. Uh, John Jones? Still champ. Israel Adesanya? Still champ. Kamara Usman? New champ. Who beats it? I don't know. Cop out. Uh, Habib Nurmagomedov? Still champ. Yeah, that's a pretty good bet there. Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky? Volko? I must say, still champ. It's going to keep it for the year. Yeah. Okay. Henry Cejudo. Hmm. Triple C slash double C. New champ. Who beats him? I don't know. Man, come on. I don't... That's not a part of this game. I don't have to do that. The double champ, Amanda Nunez. Retires. Not going to pick... I will not be taking follow-up questions. Valentina Shevchenko. Still champ. Still champ. Wiley Zhang. New champ. I agree with you. I agree with you on all those. That was fun. Um, Adam Bryant says, been listening to you guys for the better part of a century. Oh, Jesus. Well, that's not true, but a decade maybe. Better part of a decade. We've been doing this for almost a decade. (laughs) Jesus Christ. My question is, what do you think the next century, again, I think it means decade, is going to look like for your little podcast? Well, I told you, if we're if the next century from, will be dead. If it's ten years from now, and I'm still sitting here listening to Chad's nonsense. I'm just going to bring a toaster to the bath, man. Just can't do it. See, we won't have to be doing this in ten years. We'll just there'll be a couple of holograms. Yeah, that look like you and me. Some well, AI program will we will have recorded all of our thoughts. Right. Over yeah. Time. We will have said every possible combination of words, and it can just synthesize. On any topic, what we probably would have said. Yeah, and I think we're already... We've recorded so many podcasts at this point that we should have enough material for a a CME soundboard where we don't have to show up anymore. Yeah. It can just like kind of random sentence generator and uh, no one will really notice. That's what I'm going for. Um, Drawability says, have you guys noticed Chase Hooper is doing a version of your Easy Dos Santos Jr. is my cousin thing and it is excellent? So you'll recall... 
our, I think you were the one that your idea for a gimmick that, uh, Easy Dos Santos. Yeah. Lazuski Dos Santos, who Easy Dos Santos is way better than that, that you wanted him to just start walking around and acting like Junior Dos Santos was his cousin. Yeah. And keep talking about it. And even when Junior tells people in the media, like, no, we're not related. It's just kind of a common name in Brazil. Like, would, we, you would still be like, oh, that Junior. He's, he's crazy. He's man. messing with you guys, man. No, seriously, we are cousins, though. He, he's always like, hey, man, I just, at Thanksgiving, he was just telling these same kind of jokes. My mom is Junior's dad's sister on his uncle's side. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but Chase Hooper is doing a thing with Ben Askren, like what people pointed out that he looks like he could be Ben Askren's oh. son. Well, I saw Ben Askren immediately after the win tweeted, like, good job, son. Yeah. And yeah, I like how I'm just leaning into it. People come up with a funny thing on uh, MMA Twitter, and you don't you don't run from it. You just you make it into a joke, and he immediately is. And also, I really like that he's playing up the idea of not only Ben Askren as his dad, but Ben Askren as an absent father. <laughs> See, that's like where that's have you good. been? You walked out on us when you, I said I didn't want to go to wrestling practice. You got to be willing to roll with what life brings you. With the marketability strategy that that life brings you, and you got to add to it. Yeah, Chase Hooper put a little bit of his own spin on see, that, which I appreciate. You can't see this is I hope the lesson that people learn when an idea takes hold among the MMA fan base, especially like on social media that we're having fun with. If you try to resist it, it only gets worse, and or like it only gets more uh, committed. Like ask Bobby Knuckles; he tried to resist Bobby Knuckles before finally succumbing to its inevitable power. Yeah. And he's better off for it. Oh, indeed. Um, let's see. Rouge Islam says, Any interest in the Bellator Rise in Japan card next week? With no UFC cards until January 18th, you'd think the CME hashtag would watch Rampage versus Fedor even in 2019. Do you guys miss regular New Year's Eve MMA cards as much as I do? Takes me back to a simpler time than they. Yeah, I, I, I love the Japanese weird-ass New Year's Eve card. Like... It'll be super long, go all day long, and have like some real legit fights on there. But also, I love when they would just do some ridiculous stuff. Like, Gabby Garcia is going to fight an old lady. Gabby Garcia is going to commit an act of elder abuse. And also, we'll have real fights. And the couple noodles guy will be there. Like yeah. that's, that's the Japanese New Year's Eve card that I want. I actually spoke this week to a CME listener who made a special request that we spend a little time talking about the Ryzen. New Year's Eve card, because he was like, I'm definitely going to watch it. That's one of the things I look forward to all the time. Since there isn't a UFC card until like mid-January, spend a little time talking about that. So that might be something that we have to do in the next couple weeks here. Here's the Bellator Japan main card. You got your Fedor Emelianenko versus Rampage Jackson. Michael Chandler against Sydney Outlaw. Okay, yeah. Sydney Outlaw is just a badass fucking name. Michael Page versus Shin, Shinsho Anzai. Okay, nailed it. So that's uh, that seems like a, a just record wise a competitive matchup for Michael Page, but at the same time, what what weight got are a, they doing that at? Well, it it's looks like catch, a catch weight. Look, he's got a little bit of a height advantage there. He's six. He listed at six foot three. Shinsho Anzai listed at 5'7". Okay, so we're just teeing up the flying knee for Michael Page is what we're doing. Uh, Lorenz Larkin versus Keita Nakamura. And uh, Ilara Joanne versus Kana Watanabe. Oh, and Goti Yamaguchi against Darren Cruikshank. Oh, yeah. Darren Cruikshank got big in Japan, didn't he? Cruikshank is doing the thing where you have a mustache, where you're like a middling-level MMA fighter trying to get attention, so you just... Grow mustache. Works for me. That's a good mustache. I agree. That's, I agree. How, how do you feel about Fedor versus Rampage? Not great. Come on, though. Like, there's a... You don't get a little excited about it, even when you know, like, okay, this is going to be stupid, and it's probably not going to last that long, but I get excited. You just say the names, and I can't help but get excited. I would be more excited about it if I didn't think that Rampage Jackson was going to badly knock out Fedor Emelianenko at some point. Do you think Fedor does the thing where he just head down, wades right at Rampage? In much the same way that we could probably stop recording the podcast and have AI just generate our thoughts for a couple of holograms, we have seen enough late-stage Fedor Emelianenko at this point to essentially be able to synthesize a fight with Rampage Jackson 
uh, you know, like we had EA Sports and we were putting it on uh, demo mode or whatever, having it like tell us who was going to win. These guys are going to go out there throwing them bungalows. Fedor might land a punch. In fact, he probably will. He'll probably hit Rampage Jackson. It's going to look like it hurts and we'll all go. <gasps> and then as Fedor comes in to try to seal the deal, he's going to get knocked out. That Rampage counter hook and catch him. Yeah. Rampage is going to. Keep the guard up, wait till he's done throwing, and then throw that counter hook off. And of when it. he lands it, Fedor Emelianenko is going to be out cold, and he's going to fall down. We're all going to get super sad, and that's going to be the end of it. Rampage will announce his intention to continue fighting for 15 more years. <laughs> yeah. He's going to announce that he's coming for that Bellator heavyweight title. Did you see how... Watch your back, Ryan Bader. They, uh, the advertising for this one, they had the thing written on the map at uh, Bellator 236 in Hawaii on Saturday, and somebody pointed out to me that uh, they misspelled heavyweight no. in the ad on the map. No. Heavyweight. Oh. And I'm just like, how do you how do you mess that one up? How do you get all the way to the printer on that one? Nobody looked, nobody proofread it. Speaking of which, Josh Barnett. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough break. Tough break for Bellator too, and for Josh Barnett. Like at this point, he seems like that's he's the guy that that happens to. Yeah, I mean the first one where he gets pulled out of the affliction card, kind of his fault, but entirely his fault. This one makes it seem like there's a pattern here of Josh Barnett coming over to to a new organization, being the main event and getting. The hook right before it happens. Yeah. And this one seemed like Josh Barnett must have been pretty goddamn sick, man. Like, because Josh Barnett is going to go out there and fight you if well, he can, if he if he is allowed. I think he still was trying to. They deemed him medically unfit. So that's not great. Uh, here's an interesting one from Tracy Dickinson. I had a dream last night that I was asking my manager for time off at work that seemed to be hard to get. He was great about it and managed to make it happen. The plot twist? My manager was Mike Perry. Psychoanalyze me, please. What do you think this means? Well, what job, bro? At what job is Michael Perry your your very reasonable, very reasonable manager? Yeah. Um, office supply company. Okay. Mid level, mid sized paper company. Yeah, where he's just like, okay, no, we do have to get some pallets of glossy white out, but uh, I think. Jake and uh, and Lauren and the team over there, they'll be able to step up. And, and you, you go ahead. You know, you need time with your family. And you're like, thank you, manager Mike Perry. Mm-hmm. He understands. It sounds to me like Tracy Dickinson uh, subconsciously is striving for structure in her life, but also feels nostalgic uh, for the wild days of youth. Okay. And so her her mind is trying to make peace with that, mesh the two in some ways. There you go. And she really wants to ride a roller coaster. Who doesn't want to ride a roller coaster? Uh, Sean Kahn says, on the subject of immediate rematches, I did a little research. I did this quickly, so bear with me if I'm missing something. But do you know how many fighters lost their title in a fight, not stripped, and won their immediate rematch? Two. Randy Couture, after losing to Vitor Belfort, and Stipe Miocic. Yeah, and that was not really a loss for Randy Couture. Uh, and Stipe's immediate rematch came over a year later. Can we stop with these things? Kane and GSP were both able to regain their title by beating the same person who took their title from them, but they both took other fights first, and Couture, a heavyweight, and Matt Hughes were able to regain their titles as well, but not immediately and not from the same person who took their title. It's very difficult to regain a title at all, but rushing back to it doesn't help. Yeah. That is an interesting statistical analysis that... How few people, because it is always that everybody's always like rematch. I want that rematch. Let me get it back. And you're right that usually if you do get it back, it doesn't go that well. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit earlier this week that, or last week, I guess, that uh, I kind of don't get the, uh, the, the penchant for immediate rematches. Like, especially in a fight where there's no easily explainable reason to do it. Like Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway. Like it was a competitive fight who went the distance. But it was pretty clear that Alexander Volkanovsky won. Like we, I think most of us had that on the scorecards. He just went out there, had a great fight. Uh, Max Holloway had no answer for some of the things that he was doing, and he won. But, I mean, I do see when people are like, okay, hey, we do it again. Maybe Max Holloway makes some adjustments because it, was it wasn't like they were a huge gap in where they were in that fight. I, I understand that point. I also think that it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for Max Holloway to, to A, take some time, first of all, just because he's fought a whole lot, fight somebody else, and let 
Alexander Volkanovsky fight somebody else. Because one of the things is when you have a dominant champion, there is a little bit of fatigue that sets in where you just get used to seeing this person over and over again. It might be refreshing to see two entirely new people in a UFC featherweight title fight, let Max Holloway fight somebody else, and then if he wins that, then sure, do the rematch. But like when people talk about Conor McGregor and Khabib, you're like, what do you think is going to be different about the second one? Like That's one where a guy gets blown out so thoroughly and he's not going to close those gaps right. in a short period of time. You're not going to see anything new in the second fight. Yeah, and even with Holloway, like I know that he could make some adjustments and have a different fight, but you could also say that about the majority of fights. You know, yeah. maybe Frankie Edgar makes an adjustment and doesn't get punched right in his goddamn okay. face by yeah. Chan Sung Jung. Are we going to run that back? No, I don't think so. If you were going to have a dominant champion get a rematch based solely on the fact that he has been, he or she has been the dominant champion. As far as I'm concerned, you better be John Jones. Like you better have been more or less the undefeated champion for the last eight years. And then some ups, young upstart came and beat you. Like if Dominic Reyes managed to beat, managed to beat John Jones, I'd be okay running that back because that's goddamn John Jones yeah. out there. Uh, but like, I don't think we should do it for everybody. Um, Nobby Buckle says no question today just wanted to say thanks for all the great content this year I find myself looking forward to CME more than most UFC events these days enjoy your holidays stay safe and I look forward to more of your madness next year Thank better you. than the UFC events yeah up on the pri- we're up on the price of this shit <laughs> $64.99 thank you Nobby Buckles thanks Nobby Buckles okay here we're coming up on an hour here but we gotta get in this one a controversial statement coming your way from the Silver Shark are you ready I guess this, so. this one. I mean, we got ten minutes or so. Left. This one we started late. So. May enrage you. Okay, me personally. Well, everybody. Okay, and I think he knows what he's doing here, or is he, he or she, us? whoever the silver shark is. I know I risk retribution from the keepers of the conscientious MMA fan canon. Uh, <laughs> Fernando Pratis also sits on the council. Uh, he said, "But as we move into the next decade of MMA, and as the Reebok contract comes due, I got to throw this out there. I like the way the Reebok fighter uniforms look." Call me basic, but when you turn on the TV to watch basketball or soccer, you expect the jerseys to look and feel a certain uniform way. Nowadays, when I watch Bellator old UFC fights, the collage of sponsor logos looks tacky to me. I wish the UFC slash Reebok would pay the fighters a lot, 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 lot more. But aesthetically, I appreciate the professional look that the fight kits bring. Am I a filthy casual? I got into MMA in the pride days. Come at me, bro. I mean, yes and no. Like, now that we have... I think that this was the unavoidable outcome of this, right? Like, now that we have gotten used to the how the Reebok era looks, when you go and watch other MMA and they do have sponsors all over their trunks, it does look different. It looks a little bit jarring. As jarring as the Switch looked to begin with. That's not really the issue to me, the aesthetics of it. Even though, I think when we first started, the original line of Reebok... UFC apparel left a lot to be desired. Yes. The, to me, the only part of it that bugs me is the monetary issue at this point. That, like, you eliminated a significant revenue stream for a lot of fighters. Like, a lot of those fighters in the heyday of the UFC when they were doing big numbers, both on pay-per-view and, like, pretty good numbers on Spike TV, fighters were bringing in uh, kind of a shocking amount of money for yeah, some of the, some, of some guys were not everybody but a lot like of regularly uh, outpacing what the UFC paid them yeah and like I don't know if that market could have lasted I don't know if that if like we would be sitting here all of that time having passed and people would still be making that much money for their sponsors maybe now that they're on ESPN they'd be making more I don't know but like just taking the 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 uh, the shame of the Reebok deal is taking that revenue stream away from fighters and not really even trying to replace it, like giving us a half-ass explanation of like, oh, you will get a cut of your personal uh, apparel sales or whatever, which who knows if they're even doing that. Yeah. But also the thing that bothers me about it is the UFC said the same thing about like, we want a clean look, you know? Right. But yet you look around at the cage now and it's a damn billboard. Right. There's stuff everywhere, all over the cage. It's like, okay, the fighters have to have the clean look and have their revenue straight and taken away, but the UFC just... Funnels a lot of those sponsors into its own pocket. Right. If anything, that. they're sponsoring more shit now than ever before. Yeah. Like the Harley Davidson prep point and the the tail of the tape, and like every graphic that comes up has like head blade. <laughs> so, but okay, to me, 
the thing that I like the least, I mean, obviously the, the money issue is a big deal too, but I hate that it has taken away a, a one of the fighters' ways to kind of distinguish themselves. Yeah. Like, you could have your own sort of signature look that you designed that went with your personality and that people would associate you with you. Like, T. Ortiz with the flame shorts, yeah. Chuck Liddell, the Iceman, like the blue Iceman shorts. Stuff like that, I think, really helped. And it's one of the hardest things now is finding a way to stand out. And, like, with the busy event schedule and all that stuff. And the Reebok thing just makes it one step tougher to find some way because you you look like everybody else you're all wearing the same stuff yeah no i i agree there's definitely been some downsides to it just as part as uh the like pure aesthetics of it i think that i've gotten used to it to the point where you know i watch lfa or bellator or something from overseas and the spider the the the, the sponsor logos on the shorts do look a little weird to me at this point and i will say that like the reebok shirts and things like that have gotten better like they were pretty bad yeah. to start there was no really place to go except up so i think once they decided that they were just going to kind of rip off the look of a roots of fight t-shirt they started to get a lot better so now you see a lot of those kind of like traditional old school fight looking uh shirts and stuff like that so they've made some strides i think you got to give them a little bit of credit for that but at the same time it's just another instance of like not only consolidating control on part of the on the part of the corporation, but also like eliminating a significant rev- revenue stream for fighters um, who need every revenue stream they can get. Yeah. Frankly, Martin Garcia asks, "Crips or Bloods? Do you guys always take sides?" Uh I mean, listening to the Slow Burn podcast about Tupac and Biggie, there's a lot of uh, Crips and Bloods talk on mm-hmm. there. Uh, I, I'm trying to be above the fray, you know. Trying to be a, I'm an agent of peace in these streets. You know, one weird thing about uh, is that a question because you're wearing a red shirt and I'm wearing a blue yeah, shirt. Maybe okay. Uh, one weird thing about growing up in the LA area was you heard a lot more about Crips and Bloods um, because, like, especially like during the '80s, like there was a lot of violence between them, like in the LA area. But like you would hear it even like in high school, where it would just be like, okay, don't fuck with that guy. Why his cousins enroll in '60s. You don't want to, you don't want them to come down here. And you're like, yeah, no, we don't. We do not want them coming back. And but like growing up with it always just kind of like in the background, I just I assumed that there were Crips and Bloods everywhere. That it was just like, like they had a chapter in kind of like every mm-hmm. city in America. And which I realize now is ridiculous to be like, okay, the Crips and Bloods in Boise. What's what's the situation with them? Well, here's a funny story about the '90s when I was in high school. There was a hysteria, let's say a small hysteria in Missoula, Montana, that there were gangs then that like Crips and Bloods were sending members up here to recruit to try to start their own chapters. There were several sets up here, West Riverside Crips being one of them. West Riverside. Uh, There was a local gang called Three White Knights. There were, you know, there were some street, some alleged street gangs. And the Missoula Police Department, which will start a fucking task force. (laughs) They, are, they need stuff to do. They are, not afraid, they are not afraid to start a task force. They started a, an anti-gang task force. And to the extent that there were hardened gangsters in this community, they put every one of them in prison forever really, really fast. Like, I remember following it in the news that, like, these guys would... I remember one guy, I think he was on probation or something, and he got arrested for, like, hitting somebody with a bottle in the parking lot of a... Of a convenience store, like hit somebody with a 40, 40 ounce bottle. And that dude went to prison prison for like 60 years or Jesus something. Christ. It was just sort of like, we're not playing. And if you come up here to try to get involved in some manner of organized crime, uh, we're just going to put you in prison forever. And that'll be the end of it. And it kind of was. There you go. Uh, Colleen says, Merry Christmas to all that celebrate. Have a lovely week to all that just need the time off. Thank you, Colleen. Thanks, Colleen. Merry Canadian Christmas. Uh, what do they celebrate up there? What do they call it? Boxing Day? They have that, but they also have Christmas. Canadian Christmas? Canadian Christmas. How do they celebrate that? Uh, hockey and Labatt. Great. Sounds good. Sonny Weathers wants to know why we've never questioned his weird-ass parents who named a kid Sonny Weathers. Um, which... When I mean, I assume it's a pseudonym. Yeah, we, like we, we do co-main event podcast comments. Everybody in here is named Ernest Hemingway or some <laughs> goddamn thing. <laughs> 
Uh, Colleen says she figured his parents were just hippies. He says, it was great when I was a kid with long blonde hair and blue eyes, but now that I'm in my 40s and bald with a gray beard, a little rough. <laughs> um, Mike B says, Stipe accidentally gives up his title when in reality he was just asking Dana for a new opponent. Hmm. Maybe. That could happen. Like a garbled Stipe thing. He's just trying to get something on the books, but he's misunderstood because he sounds like a blender filled with lug nuts. Um, Okay, here we are. We'll do this as our last question. Um, Devin Scott says, Jose Aldo, 0-1 and might be getting a title shot. Can you name another time something like this has happened, or is this a new precedent? Yeah, they put him in the rankings. Did you see that? No. Like, he's a... So he loses this fight to Magic Marlin, Marais, and then he the new rankings come out, and Jose Aldo is number nine in the in the men's bantamweight division. He is ranked ahead of Rob Font, Cody Stamen, John Dodson, Song Yadong, Casey Kenny, and uh, Marlon Vera. So if you're one of those dudes, don't you kind of got to be like, you know, you guys know I've won some fights at this weight. Yeah, I, you know, though, I don't hate that. I don't, I won't say like, hey, if you show up in a new weight class and you lose your first fight there that you can't possibly be in the rankings, because I think we can still go on like, how did you look? Yeah. Because he looked good. He, he looked, looked like he beat yeah. some people in that weight. But if you were one of those guys, if you were one of these four or five guys that has the uh, little red down arrow by your name mm-hmm. that you got. Yeah, you didn't made, even fight. You just were hanging out. You woke up. You're, you're down a spot just because Joe, Jose Aldo showed up, looked pretty good, and lost. Yeah. The You know who I would be? If I were uh, Aljamain Sterling, I'd be really mad about them talking about Jose Aldo shows up in the weight class, loses a decision, and they're like, okay, we're going to have him fight for the title. And you're like, I have a damn winning streak. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Henry Sudo, not, he's not saying the name of Aljamain Sterling. He hasn't made a video about Aljamain Sterling yet, poolside. Hasn't made a poolside video about Aljo yet. Maybe Aljo needs to be a little more proactive, make his own poolside video. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any precedent for this, though. I'm sure that I'm sure that if we looked far and wide, we could find someone moving weight classes and getting a title shot. Maybe not off a loss, but like right away. Yeah. Frankie Edgar's seemed I mean, like somebody or, like or Frankie Uriah Faber or Uriah somebody. Faber or Holly Holm, somebody that's like moved around a little bit and Holly Holmes, I believe. Holly Holmes, I'm sorry. Elementary, my dear Watson. Well, all right. Uh, is this what we're going to do from now on? We're going to record in here, dedicated podcasting space. I mean, this is kind of a test run. We're we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to see what works and what doesn't. We'll probably have to see how it sounds. Of course, we got a slightly different audio setup here for the live chat than we normally do for the podcast. But uh, I don't know. We said we've been saying we've been we would do it. Like right now at my house, we pretty much record in uh, uh, the spot that probably has the worst acoustics. Yeah. So it might be better to to move in here. It's just going to have to be a considerable, you know, like setup and takedown. Just looking for a good spot to put some nunchucks. Right. Hang them up here. Get some throwing stars. Just arrayed back here. I don't know if I need you to have access to, to, to weapons, easy access to weapons while we're sitting here. We'll figure it out. We're going to figure it out. Guy can't get the audio to work. Next thing I know, he throws a throwing star right into my throat. The audio is working, is it not? Yeah, I fixed it. I fixed the audio so we could do this live chat. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And hey, if you are a person who is not currently one of the beloved patrons of the Co-Main Event Podcast, but you like what you saw or heard today, keep in mind, you can jump on board the Patreon for the CME and you can have access to our weekly live chats for how much? How much, Ben? A dollar. One dollar a month. month. That's nothing. Couldn't even get a cookie for that. You can find that in the change in your couch cushions. And if you get in there at the $5 level, I have it on good authority that $5 and up patrons will be receiving a special uh, little something under the tree here coming up this week. A little, see, me might be putting out a little something special for those people. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. So give it some thought. Anyway, thanks for uh, joining us. We will be back next week. You're leaving down this weekend. I huh? am. Rolling out. Going skiing. Oh, good luck with that. Yeah. Is there snow? Is there snow where you're going? Isaac Walton in, baby. Okay. Way up there. No snow right now in Missoula. It's been like 50 damn degrees the last couple yeah. of days. Disquieting is what it is. Anyway, we're done. See you guys soon. We're out. Just keep waving. Keep waving until I turn off the thing. 
Don't stop waving. You should have that computer uh, closer to you so you don't have to stand up and like walk away while we're doing our live chat. 